Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 52nd episode of Crime Over Wine, the only podcast with head-scratching true crime stories that are just better over a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Liam Collins, and my guest co-host this week is indeed a familiar voice to you all. He is returning all the way back from episode three of this very podcast, which dropped almost a year ago. Impossible to believe, but it is in fact true. My guest co-host this week is Blaze Keller. Hello, Blaze. How are you? I'm good. Crazy that it's been a year. It sure has. And I was thinking, and I'm going to go back and look at this right now, but I feel pretty confident that it was like a year ago this weekend, Blaze, that we were recording this podcast. Oh, you know what? I can't remember really beyond a week ago, so if it's right, (laughs) that is fair. So it was it was December third of twenty twenty two. In fact, or sorry, excuse me, December second of twenty twenty two. In fact, okay, so um, about so, yeah, yeah. So just about a year ago, that's crazy. And now here you are back oh, again. Oh my gosh! So what have you learned over this year in doing? Oh my this, goodness, this podcast and creating it from scratch and really making it your own. Yeah, you know. That's a great question. I feel like this whole thing has just kind of flown right by. You know, honestly, like it, it has really felt like a whirlwind, honestly, good. Blaze. It is, and I feel like, you know, I have, you know, really gotten hopefully good at the thing. I think yeah. that's maybe like a possible part of it. Um, but I've, I think, you know, if I had to pick like one thing, right, I really feel like I have learned how important this is, right? Like, honestly, and like, because I obviously started the podcast because I think it's important, right? Right. Um, but like, I have gotten so much, you know, like, you know, like connecting to connected to so many people who like are intimately involved in these cases um and or just people who care about it so much and like like to have the opportunity right to to you know talk about these things you know to give people that platform you know who who don't have it on their own right like that's the whole reason why i want to have my own platform right is that way i can lend it out to other people and give it to them once a week and so um that's 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 one of the big thing right is is just you know it's you know like true crime is not just all about you know entertainment it's not all just about you know hearing mm-hmm. it and being like whoa that's crazy but like doing something with it um and so i'm hoping i'm doing that i'm hoping i'm getting through to people but man blaze it has been <laughs> a ride to get there so and you've had many bottles of wine since yeah oh, oh i mean along the way i should say yeah, just a few. Yeah. Um, not to say that I wouldn't have drank a similar number of bottle of wine um, com- if I didn't start had this podcast. Okay, um, because everyone knows how much I love wine. Um, but it is good. I, it's it's for a very good purpose. Yes. Um, so speaking of that, um, let's get into our wine uh, of the week, please. Right. So um, this week we are drinking Bread and Butter's Merlot. It's a classic California mer- Merlot with luscious notes of plum, black cherry, and cocoa. Perfect when enjoyed with good food and good company. So talk about the good company. We all we need is some I was going to say, and like we'll be fine. We've got the good company. I don't know about the food. Right. I- yeah, yeah. Nothing. Nothing I, in my bed. Yeah, I have some leftover pizza um, <gasps> from, in the other room. Um, oh. So, mm. Have you had this before? I have not. Um, and I try to very intentionally to pick out wines um, for this podcast that I've never had before. Um, and I just took a sip. And I, you know, again, I've been like getting on the Merlot train. Everyone knows I'm usually okay. on the Cabernet train. Um, but I'm getting, I've been getting toward a Mer- Merlot-y kind of flavor because I really like those, like the big bolds. Um, and, but it's a little too sweet for me in my opinion, but, um, but I have, let me see how I feel about this. I mean, I have no, no frame of reference. Um, I usually stick Mm. with, um, whites, so (laughs) this could be really great or this could be rotten grapes. I have no idea. Yeah. Well, it's also like all subjective, right? Two plays, I feel like. Also that. 
Also that. Point being, love the wine. Really into this one. Big, bold flavors. Fruitier, right? Fruitier-esque, I would, yeah. I would argue. Yeah. But Blaze, yes. we have a talk about coming coming in hot. Mm-hmm. Um, that parlays very, very well into the case for the week, both literally and figuratively. Because, woo. Ooh. Yeah. I have I have no reference. Like, this is all going to be new to me. Cool. Oh, good. I'm so glad you're going to take this all in raw because that's the only way to do this case for sure. So, yes, it Blaze, is. way back when we were talking about the Biological Resource Center, right, again, on yes. episode three of this podcast, I could not stop thinking about the case I'm going to tell you about because it is, like, so similar, but arguably way wilder, right? And so I've been holding my breath to tell you this for a year about this, you know, absolutely just too insane to believe story, but it is 100% real. This week, I want to tell you about Ray Marsh, the Walker County cremator. Blaze, I don't even really know where to begin with this case. I truly don't. And so let me begin with just kind of like setting the scene for you of where we're talking about this week. We are in Walker County, Georgia. It's directly south of Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I'm at right now. And it's a pretty rural area, tucked away in the mountains and real home-like. It's just kind of like one of those areas that you settle down in to raise a family because, again, nothing bad ever happens in those towns right? And so as a result, Walker County is just one of those counties where everyone knows everyone, and that's all that you need, right? And in the 90s and early 2000s, one of those families entrenched in that community was the Marshes, primarily Tommy Marsh and his son, Ray Marsh. They were a nice family, according to the people who live there, really well-respected and well-liked in the community, and the respect for their family went back generations. And in 1996, the family had built up a reputation as really well-respected business people. Tommy owned the only crematory in town. And look, I know it's like ironic being a true crime podcaster and all, but I stay far away from death. People who are in this industry just absolutely creep me out, but it's an essential service, right? And it was extra essential for Walker County back in 1996 because before the Tri-State Crematory opened in 1982, there were no options for people in the surrounding region from Georgia to Tennessee to Alabama to have their loved ones cremated. If you wanted to be cremated, you had to pay an arm and a leg to do business with the crematory hours away. And look, I totally understand. I have zero interest in being buried. 100%, I want to be cremated, and this should absolutely serve as my living well, period. Why do you want to be cremated? I actually genuinely want to know. Why do you want to be cremated? Well, listen, I don't like the idea, right, of, like, of dying and for the rest and for the rest of eternity, my, mm. like, the maggots and the bugs and the stuff are just crawling over my body. Like, I worked really, really hard for this, right? And, like, I don't want that. I don't want that at all. And so, um, so I want, but listen, also, too, from, again, the Biological Resource Center from before, we are talking oh, about this yeah. previously. Yeah. And we, and I remember distinctly saying, I want to be cremated and I need someone to watch it happen because I don't trust these people. You want no body, no crime. You Correct. said this was my body, so you bugs that need food, sorry, you're nope. starving. Tr- go somewhere else. Sorry, I ate and you guys are not. That and then um, I guess you really want to 
give somebody in your family or a friend uh, some trauma to talk about down the line with watching you get incinerated. <laughs> that Yeah, you, you hit all the main points. Um, thanks for that. I mean, you know what? Work. Yeah, I also Work. I also would really enjoy, once I am cremated, right? Like, I want, because yeah. I want to be, like, I want my ashes to be sprinkled in on a beach somewhere or somewhere, like, real serene. That's what I want. Okay. But again, someone needs to see it happen, and part of the reason why I need someone to see it happen is because of this case right here. So Yes. All right. So come back to this podcast if he tries to fight anybody that down the line. That is correct. All right. Yes. I hope my lawyer is listening right now. So the Perfect. marshes were trying to, you know, fill the void that the community had had in terms of, you know, crematories and options after death. But they did so in a bit of a rare way, Blaze. So the tri-state crematory didn't deal directly with the public. Instead, they dealt directly with funeral homes. So if you wanted your loved one cremated, all you had to do was go through the funeral home, one-stop shop kind of thing, and they would take care of the rest. Now, this is a bit of a non-traditional way for crematories to operate. Most crematories have customers come in you know they do the mm. sale etc everything's cool and it's just another item on your checklist after your loved one passes away okay but in the case of the tri-state crematory they wanted to do business in other ways for one reason or another and there might be a strong reason for that blaze you see the state coroner's office regulates crematories for inspection purposes it's in state law okay but the loophole in georgia state law at the time was that crematories don't need to submit to state inspections if they don't do business directly with the public, but instead do business directly with funeral homes. And Tommy had apparently been pretty well aware of this loophole in Georgia state law because in 1994, he had apparently called in a favor to a politician friend of his to ask how he can keep state investigators out of the crematory. This sounds very bad. (laughs) Yeah. It's not getting set up well, that's for sure. No, also that's really odd that at that time, like, if you went through a funeral home, there was no state checking because there's been times where, like, there's been murder and someone's been told that they want a cremating and then you can't exhume the body. Right. That sounds like a problem. It does sound like a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, again, I don't, from my understanding of like what this loophole looked like, it wasn't like a loophole in terms of like, like, like they specifically said that if you don't deal with the public, Mm. I could be wrong, but they didn't like specifically say, if you don't deal directly with the public, you don't need a state inspection. Right. I think it was more so just like, like the language just missed these kinds of crematories. Um, which happens, I suppose you can't think of every possible case scenario. Um, but again, it causes some problems. Spoiler alert, were, right? Were they burning people in like a back alley dumpster? Oh, way worse than that, Blaze. Oh my god. Way worse than no. that. No. Well, okay, carry on. Tell me more. Oh, I sure will. <laughs> Regardless of the reason, though, why the uh, marshes had structured their business the way that it did, state investigators never conducted any kind of official inspection at the business, and the family's business model worked. Again, the crematory was the only one for miles, and it was successful. It had attracted a lot of really wealthy individuals in the area, and it was doing business with some well-established funeral homes that didn't have any other crematory to do business with before the tri- state crematory opened but in 1996 tommy marsh had gotten sick too sick to run the business so 
he passed it along to his son, Ray, to run. Ray dropped out of his senior year of school to take on the family business, and he continued to run it for years with great success. Between 1996 and 2002, the crematory had apparently taken in about 2,000 bodies to cremate, and things were going really, really well for them. But in 2002, everything changed. That's when investigators got a tip from someone walking their dog near the crematory who made a horrific discovery that would shatter the peace in the quiet community for decades. Crime Over Wine is sponsored by BetterHelp. As someone who's used therapy for years, I know that finding a therapist can sometimes be a stress on its own, juggling your full-time job, your family, your friends, your podcast, and trying to find the right therapist on top of that can almost feel impossible. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp matches you with a therapist that works for you on your terms. It's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to one of 33,000 licensed professional therapists in as little as a few days. And because finding a new therapist is a lot like finding a new bottle of wine, if you don't jive with your therapist, you can easily switch to a new one at no additional cost. You can get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp by going to betterhelp.com slash crimeoverwine. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crimeoverwine for 10% off your first month. Join over 4 million people who decided to get help and get happy with BetterHelp. On February 15th, 2002, the dog walker was out in the woods on the property of the crematory, but just off of the main part of the property, when they came across what they thought to be decomposing human remains. Just out in the woods, stacked together, and a lot of them. Like, just thrown? Just out there. Oh, okay. And what was strange about them was that they were definitely dead, of course, but they didn't look, like, murdered, necessarily. Like, they were mostly intact, rotting, of course, but they weren't immediately concerned for their safety. They didn't really notice, like, wounds, is what I'm trying to say. Mm, Just a pile of dead bodies. Yeah, right. Okay. I'm I'm, I'm putting myself in that scene. I'm taking my now-disabled French bulldogs... (laughs) Well, one of them's disabled. On a walk, we find a dead body. My first reaction, probably puke. I have smelt a dead body before. And they're not, they're not, they don't smell great. Yeah. Um, Okay. Do you need to know more about that comment? Um, um, Long story short, (laughs) just somebody died. Um, Yeah. I mean, I would be, I would be really concerned. What, 2002? So on the heels of 9-11, just a bunch of dead bodies. I've got questions. Well, you know, the the dog walker, you know, their immediate reaction was call the police. They called an anonymous tip to the police department and the local sheriff's office heads out to check things out. They show up to the crematory and head out toward where the dog walker told them to go. And as they're heading out there, they find even more sets of human remains. They were, again, stacked up on top of each other all around the property. So are we talking like on like those like uh warehouse pallets just like stacked on top of each other? Is it in a hole, in a garbage bag? I think that does to me and this is just my personal opinion, so don't come for me. But if I saw them in just like on top of each other, I would be more concerned than on a pallet. 
the palette adds a little bit of like, okay, maybe they're just going to move them all together into the fire pits and burn, you know? Sure. Um, I will just, you know, put a little asterisk. I don't think that's how cremations work. I think that you'd like put it on a little thing and then like shove yeah. it like a little thing. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I could be wrong, but that's not what happened here anyways. So You're not hanging out at crematoriums on the side? Nope. Can't oh. say. I'm, again, don't really enjoy death at all, but. I, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Carry on. Well, you know, it was pretty obvious, you know, to police that something wasn't right here. These weren't bodies, you know, waiting to be cremated at this crematory. They weren't being stored properly, and there were dozens of them at first glance. They were out in storage sheds, in vaults, scattered all inside and outside of the property, stacked up on top of each other. And some of them appeared as though they were there for weeks months, and maybe even years based on their levels of decomposition. And this is in Georgia. That is correct. Okay, so you're putting dead bodies outside for who knows how long. We're into, what, February? Correct. I mean, it's it's cold, but it's not like not that it's... Cold. We're not in the Arctic. You're not conserving these bodies. Yeah, we're so not the, in Madison, Wisconsin. The smell? Yeah. Alone? Yuck. Well, hold that thought for sure, because there's a little bit of an explanation there, potentially. Okay. And I don't fully buy it, but it is a possible explanation. Okay. Um, but, you know, initially, police think that they found 49 bodies, Blaze, which is an Jesus. insane amount. But then they keep looking. They okay. found bodies hidden deep in the woods on the property, dumped into tanks, and some were found stuffed into the back of a hearse on the property. Now, again, investigators at this point are obviously weirded out by this whole thing, but they aren't really suspecting that there is anything, like, violently criminal here. Yes, they are finding, okay. like, a ton of dead bodies, but none of them appear to have been outright murdered. At least, not at first glance, right? Right. Plus, they're at a crematory. Surely, there is a logical explanation to some extent. You go to the circus, you see clowns. <laughs> it makes sense. Okay, sure. <laughs> but, you know, at this point, they are dealing with a massive hazardous situation here, right? And so yeah. local police end up calling in a federal disaster team to survey this whole 16-acre property. They bring in anti-contamination suits, a portable morgue all the way from Maryland, and dozens of agents to see what is going on here. And they put the property on lockdown. Mm. The federal teams end up searching the property for six weeks and this is as you can imagine a complicated process they found some bodies in mass graves up to 40 bodies in 10 foot pits on the property oh no other bodies had decomposed into each other in some cases they were described as just a mush (laughs) of dna mixing in with other corpses by the end of it blaze get ready for this Investigators believe they had found 339 bodies on the property, and some of them, they believe, had been there for as many as 20 years. I... I just, I don't get it. Like, what... What... At what point do you just say, you know what, take this body and just throw it out back? Yeah. And then 20 years later, you've got what, almost 400 or something bodies 
just right. lying around. Well, and again, like, I, like, because to your point from before, right, about, like, okay, well, maybe they're, like, you know, waiting to be cremated. Like, yeah. sure, I could buy two or three, four or five, maybe up to ten. Okay, that's, like, in the queue. Um, but not 339. <laughs> well, and, you know, like, obviously you're dead, so it doesn't really matter what, to me, it doesn't really matter what happens to your body. Like, you're dead. So, like, if you want to be put outside, fine, whatever. Put me outside until I burn. But obviously there's, <laughs> there's some people who are going to care about, like, Grandma Susan sitting outside. You can't do that to Susan. Obviously, I have questions about the crematorium at this point. Is it really a crematorium? Like, and also, mm. how does t- bodies over 20 years not raise, like, any sort of red flags? Yeah, well, and apparently, you know, Blaze, kind of what you are talking about before, like, there wasn't, like, a much of an overwhelming smell coming from the property. The funeral homes were, of course, required to embalm bodies mm. before sending them to the crematory. And so that apparently had prevented much of the smell becoming, like, super unbearable or noticeable. But, like, to be clear, like, when officers showed up, like, the smell was still pretty darn strong. Just not as strong as I think that most of us are would, would expect it to be. Rotting flesh Without organs, I can't imagine just smells great, but maybe that's just, like, what Georgians smell. (laughs) Well, at this point, you know, people were getting wind of what had happened at the Marsh's crematory, and they were pissed at the prospect of their loved ones not being cared for after their death. And when they find out about this massive scandal that rocked Walker County, Georgia, they are left wondering what they had in their loved ones' urns and the necklaces that they made in in their memories for all of these years. Again, I don't care what happens to me once I die and my body, the exterior shell of my body. But again, I'm putting myself in other people's shoes, seeing their grandparents' loved ones, you know, die... That would be really upsetting, especially, like, if you're promised, you know, hey, this is your grandma's ashes, Mm -hmm. and you find out she's just rotting out back with the rest. Well, and, like, it's such an intimate thing, right? Like, this is such an emotional time for everybody. And, like, for a lot of these people, right, like, I think about the people who who have been there potentially for 20 years. um, Yeah. Like, these are people, like, their families and their loved ones had, like, come to terms with this at this point, right? Like, mourned, grieved, everything's okay. Yeah. And then to, like, have this, you know, just bring this right back to the forefront. Man, right? Well, you know, Blaze, you know, as crazy as this story is so far, what happens next is even crazier. Hello, Crime Over Wine listeners. I am Rachel. And I'm Heather. We are the hosts of Like Mother, Like Murder. We bring you the good, the badass, and the crime. Each week, we bring you stories from missing and murdered to survivors and women who empower you. And of course, some mom talk sprinkled in. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts at Like Mother, Like Murder. And give us a follow on social media so that we can say hi. Okay, love you, bye. Okay, love you, bye. Get ready for that big test with Study.com. Study.com offers... 
materials and test prep, even LSAT study prep guides for all of my legal nerds listening. Unfortunately, there aren't any wine study guides, and believe me, I did check. Listeners can get 30% off their first three months of any subscription level using the promo code CRIMEOVERWINE. Again, that's promo code CRIMEOVERWINE, no spaces, for 30% off your first three months at study.com. Learn faster, stay motivated, study smarter with our sponsor, study.com. Okay, Blaze, so how are you enjoying your Merlot? Are you a Merlot guy now, or... Um, no, but it is good. Um, I mean, it's not bad. Again, I have no frame of reference. I mean, these could really just be, like, Concord grapes, Juicy Juice grapes, whatever they sold us <laughs> as kids. Um, no, it's, not, it's, it's really not bad. Again, I'm not a big red wine person. I think red wines tend to be a little bit more gritty. Like, I feel mm, there's, a, like, fair. a grittiness to it. This is smooth like a white wine there is no grittiness mm. to it yeah well yeah that's definitely a merlot for sure mm. merlots are are smoother or but have are known for big fruity flavors okay um, which is definitely true here for sure i don't get a whole lot of fruity flavors in here um but i do get big bold and i get dr- on the drier side for sure yeah i i got a big glass to like air it out i don't know is that like a thing that you people do with red wines <laughs> well yeah so you are supposed to with with especially with these kind of red wines yeah. you're supposed to have like a big bulb like oh. you're supposed to have a nice big one to let all of the the you know f- the flavors breathe and then to have it in your actually in, in um in um you know ideal scenarios you're supposed to have like mm. a pretty thin opening so that way it kind of just like all funnels through one spot oh so, little, little wine class of 101 for you Okay, you said that there was, I'm trying to read, I'm trying to remember what you said about the notes of this. Okay, plum, black cherry, and cocoa. I don't find any cocoa in this. You tell me that there's- Oh, no, no, me neither. You tell me that there's chocolate, liar. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I, I agree with that. I definitely don't get any cho- any cocoa mocha flavors in here No. I, I 100% agree with that. I would say, though, for anybody like me, who's a special kind of woman, because you're a man, mm-hmm. and don't like red wine, this one isn't bad. Yeah. Actually, you know what I say, I said about the about the cocoa, um, I just took another sip, and I actually do get a little cocoa in the aftertaste. Really? Um, like, very subtly, very, very subtly, but it is there. I truly don't get it. Um, I get a lot of plum though. I think it's definitely heavy on the plum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, plum in the front for sure. I definitely agree with that. Hmm. Well, I probably won't buy it again just because I don't like red wine. But <laughs> you know what? It's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah, I would definitely mm. recommend this to somebody who doesn't like red wines and wants maybe just like a sweet. <laughs> yeah, listen, this is like a very relaxing red for me too, mm-hmm. right? Like I could definitely see like like Real Housewives, you know, chilling on the couch Friday night kind of thing. Ooh, deal. and would go great with like a steak, some potatoes. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I see like a nice like like charcuterie board spread here. Ooh, sure. I love that word. Yeah, charcuterie. Yeah. All right, I'm getting hungry. I think we should move back um, okay. into probably the least appetizing case that I've probably ever covered on this on this podcast. Speak for yourself. Let's get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Blaze. Uh-huh. In all, about 226 of the bodies that were found on the Tri-State Crematory mm-hmm. property were identified, but okay. 113 of them never were even to this day. 
So police start to notify family members about what they had discovered on the Tri-State Crematory property, including the eventual positive identification of their family members. Investigators asked the family to bring their loved one's remains mm. the, and ashes to be tested so they can find out what they really are, right? Because mm-hmm. at this point, people are just wondering, what do I have on my mantle or on my neck, whatever it was. Right. And they find out through that testing that the cremations that have been placed into urns, turned into necklaces, or otherwise, were actually a combination of wood shavings and concrete dust. Come on. I I don't know what I would do in that moment if I found out that the urn with grandma was actually just sawdust and concrete stuff but like what do you like what do you even do with that right throw it away (laughs) true i mean i guess you have to right i mean like yeah you can't i mean but like yeah it must be like so like emotionally complicated though right because if you have like that up on the shelf somewhere and like thinking that like grandma or you know uncle joe or whoever is up there and like for all these years and then you find out Oh, just kidding. Like, and then you have to throw it away. Like, how do you? Yes. I mean, all, I can't imagine. All jokes aside, it would be really tough to reconcile with something that you had been looking at and revering and thinking was a loved one for so long to find right. out that it's not. I bet some people maybe on some level probably didn't believe it. And then mm, you have to think of the yeah. hundred or so people whose bodies other loved ones were never identified. So, like, what do yeah, they get? who never got that closure. Yeah, that's so true. And, like, you have to probably imagine, right, like, like to a certain extent that it's, like, okay, like, even though they weren't, po- like, definitively identified, like, they were around the same time period, like, they died a few couple of years ago. And so, like, I, like, odds are, right, yeah. like, you know, like, in all, like, like, reality and, like, you know, like, like probability here it it you know it's they were probably among them right and they just couldn't like for sure be be told for sure they're probably like the older ones too which again like yeah. it's just one of those situations where it's like it gets brought back up and it's like oh my god which like i don't know which which, which one would be worse right if it was like my loved one died a year ago and and, and uh. i don't really know for sure or if it's like 20 years ago and it gets brought back up and then you're like okay well you know that's crazy but like at least i'm kind of you know, past that. Yeah. You know, I've mourned that. So it's not a thing to like bring back up necessarily. I don't know. I, it's, I just can't, I simply can't imagine what, I, what these people are feeling at this point is the, is the, is the whole idea. Right. Yeah. Me too. I don't, I feel for them. Big time. Well, you know, that was just the loved ones who, again, had remains to turn over. Among the ones whose loved ones had been identified, there were still more than 100 families who never found out with 100% certainty what happened to their loved ones. Mm. And with that, investigators were putting Ray Marsh on notice. They arrested him and charged him on, ready for this, please, 787 Pack it up. felony charges, including abusing a corpse, burial, service-related fraud, and theft by deception. Pack it up, Mary. The evidence literally is stacked against you in your backyard. You had a good run. Yeah. I mean, what can you do? You gotta just, you gotta look at those charges and say, yeah, you got me. I... Yeah, I I just how do you even chart like 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 pursue those charges though? You know, like like one at a freaking time. Yeah, like almost eight hundred charges. Like, damn. I mean, 
in my mind, I would go for the abusing a corpse because that's going to be the most easiest because those bodies are literally right there. I mean, I feel like the st- sorry, I because I, I kind of disagree. I think that the strongest probably charge here is that it is the fraud thing, right? Because like if you're selling like, you know, hey, come get your, oh, body, your loved yeah. ones cremated here and like you're clearly not doing that. You know what I mean? Like like abusing a corpse comes next. But like I feel like the like the obvious thing here is like the like blatant fraud. Yeah, but you could also argue that he gave them something. He gave them a urn and urn urn. Um, yeah, telling them they were that it was their loved ones and it wasn't. Yeah, but I don't know. And and fr- frankly, again, this is probably not super relevant. But like across state lines too, right? Where so that is like a totally different. Oh. Like if you're doing this, engaging, like it's that brings it to a totally different level of yikes. Okay, so obviously Ray is in a lot of trouble, but he had obviously taken over the business from Tommy. So, like, does Tommy get, does he get, like, charged as well because it could be, like, negligence since he's still part of it? Maybe? Yeah, well, and again, so so Tommy ran the business, like, 20 years ago, too, right? And, like, yeah. that's around the time that they're thinking that this dates back to, like, natural question. Um, but Tommy actually ended up dying in 2003. Oh. And he was never charged with anything related to the tri-state crematory. But interestingly, investigators may have actually been able to stop this a long time ago. Because they had actually been tipped off about this more than a year before the dog wonker called police. Okay, so that was back in 2002 that the police, Correct. the original police call came. So Tommy, in theory, could have been around, could also been, in theory, charged if this happened 20 years ago and he was still running the business. So, so police, yeah. what, what's the gig? What what what's the team, Mary? Well, and that's that's fair too. But like, and because, but the like, I think the easiest sell yeah. here, right, is like you always want to go for like the like the low hanging fruit in terms of like prosecuting stuff. And like yeah. again, like he was super sick at this point, so like probably not worth your time. Yeah. Like potentially, and that's at least probably the theory that they're going or the the thought process that they're going with here. Um, but like because because Ray definitely knew right right what was on the property right, and so like that's the that's the low hanging fruit that they're going for so okay so the dog walker calls it in 2002 in what 2001 was it a text message how did they get informed but they were just like lol yeah so in october of 2000 this is when it happened and a driver for an oil company actually saw decomposing bodies on the property while making a delivery to the crematory. Mm -hmm. The driver did the right thing, though. He reported it to his boss, who reported it to police. And whether police actually ended up physically going out to the property or not is, like, a little unclear. But what is clear is they didn't take any action at all. Police called this a, quote, regulatory issue, not a criminal one. And so they didn't take any action at the time. So you just see dead bodies hanging out outside a building. Obviously a crematorium. I don't know. Maybe we just still swing by. Give a little knock, knock, knock. Yeah. Hey, Ray. Well, yeah. <laughs> What's up? Right. <laughs> and I guess I'm like picturing this through their eyes too, right? Where it's like, okay, like you get this and you're like, okay, like a crematorium has dead bodies. Like but not, not exactly outside. breaking news. Correct. Correct. But I'm guess I'm, but I'm wondering if they're just like, okay, well, it's clearly not being like done properly, but like, it seems like again, like the state regulates that, so it's like if it like it's not up to local police to do this. Uh, to your point, like 
with that being said, like if there's regulation regulatory issues going on here specifically with with dead bodies and which are biohazards, right. then maybe just swing by and and say and like see what's going on. So that way you can go to police and to to the state and yeah. say, hey. Like, you know, be the one who, like, your mandatory reporter right. as, as police with that type of situation. Go to the state with the dead body, knock, knock, knock. Hey, this was outside <laughs> of a crematorium. Can we do something about it? That and is then, one way to do it. You're as right. the police, they have to listen to you, right? Correct. Okay. You that's, think so, anyways. That's my thoughts. All right. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. So they didn't uh, do anything. So what next? What now? We wait? Well, that kind of, yeah. Um, you know, but that wasn't all either, though, Blaze, because they had actually been called about the property again. In November 2001, so just three months before the crematory was shut down, the Atlanta Environmental Protection Agency had received an anonymous tip from someone who was walking in the woods again near the Tri-State Crematory when they came across decomposing bodies. They immediately called police, who did show up this time, actually, and searched the woods, but they didn't end up finding any bodies. There's, like, you... Okay, obviously, we know more than what they knew. Littered across this area. Correct. I feel like there was more... There was less area not covered by bodies. Like, they were just... How do you not see them? And most of them... Like, again, so they initially found 49 bodies, is what they say, when they first showed up in in February 2002. Yeah. And so, like... So, my... The way I picture this happening, right, is, like, those 49 bodies are just, like scattered like in open view and then the like every door they opened up like they just and every time they like dug up a new hole like they found more bodies yeah. and so so point being is like there aren't like 339 bodies just like there about yeah but like 49 bodies is still a lot of bodies you know so again where do we go from here what's happening at this tri-state crematorium that has allowed this to happen. Well, Blaze, the explanation here actually may be even more insane than the actual crime. Crime Over Wine is proud to support Emancipat. Today, there are over 60 million beloved pets across the country whose families cannot access or afford veterinary care. With your help, Emancipet is changing that. Emancipet is a nonprofit that offers low-cost vet care for those who need it most. They rely on donations to keep their costs low for pet families across the country. You can support Emancipet's mission at emancipet.org. Ray Marsh tells investigators, and the local sheriff actually relays this explanation to local media, that the incinerator was old at the crematory and had stopped working. Ray said that he couldn't afford to fix the incinerator, and things had just gotten out of hand way too much for him. He got behind and eventually just resorted to just stacking the bodies up around the property as he waited for years to figure things out. So did he just think that one day all the bodies would be gone i don't really know and like again like this explanation is kind of odd right because it's like if your incinerator like if this is really your your explanation here and like yeah. and you think that it's okay to like to to stack up the bodies like 
out and about the way that you did, um, then then like maybe stop taking them in, which she clearly didn't do, right? right? So like like that explanation is just odd to me, right? It, it doesn't fully explain the thing at all. Like, and I could I could like sympathize with that to a certain extent if the incinerator was old and like you know you had like twenty of them, you were already backed up, you were the only person burning these bodies in all of t- of of the tri-state area, yeah. Um, and and you just it was just whoa, but like you clearly knew by the time the hundredth body you know was had to be stacked yeah. outside that like this was going to be a problem and you still took them in right for 20 years you for, just were like you know what yeah. back up the truck this one there's a plot right here for old muriel right. knowing Oak street knowing darn well you were going to have to you know stuff them in the shed or stuff them in the vault or right. whatever the heck because again i mean it gets hot in georgia sure you're does. 20 minutes away not hot enough to melt a body Mm-mm. And then you got the bones. Yeah. Wild. These people... It sure is. Y'all be wilding out in Georgia. Well, this explanation may not have actually been able to hold much water because investigators later said that the incinerator was actually working just fine when it was tested after this whole investigation, but later it was determined to actually have had some faults to it, but like still mostly operable. But there's a more logical explanation to this that's later presented in court, so definitely hold that thought. We're going to get to it. As Ray prepares to go to trial, he starts getting into more and more legal trouble related to this whole regional scandal that had gone national at this point. Mm -hmm. The funeral homes sued the tri-state crematory for fraud since the crematory continued doing business with them, knowing the building situation Ray had been dealing with. More than 1,700 family members joined a class action lawsuit against the crematory, some of whom had never gotten official confirmation that their loved one had been found at the crematory, but who had presented evidence that the likelihood was very high given the time period and the number of bodies found on the property, like we were saying before. Gotcha. Okay, so I guess I'm curious what faults they did determine, because if they said it tested fine, but then there were some faults, like maybe it wasn't... Mm -hmm. Getting to the appropriate temperature. Yeah, that's kind of how I picture maybe like a button, you know, wasn't didn't work 100% of the time or that kind of thing. Like, sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, I don't know the crematory um, technology and how advanced sure. it's become. And if anything has changed, I mean, I imagine that since two, the early 2000s, things have improved. <laughs> Since 2002, I imagine. Yeah, <laughs> but it just it blows my mind that, again fine hey we take in a body we realize we can't burn it hey let's just maybe stop and not do this for 20 years yeah wild all right keep telling me in mid-2004 blaze ray marsh pleaded guilty to all of the charges accepting a plea deal from the federal prosecutors wow in the trial his attorneys walked back that original theory that the reason that this all had happened was because of a faulty incinerator Instead, they presented evidence that Ray may have done this all because he was sick and not in the right mindset. So they're pleading insanity. No, not fully. Okay, but just like not in the right mindset. Correct. Okay. Um, uh, That is so hard to prove if they're not truly sick. Like from the little bit of knowledge that I have, it's just it. you can fake it, but they know you're faking it. So like what... I guess so. You know what? It's all or nothing. A Hail Mary. Yeah. Okay. I mean, go for it. But mm-hmm. like, when you say not right and sick, what do you mean by that? Because I have said insanity and that wasn't right. 
Yeah. Oh, definitely not exactly what they were going for here. But um, attorneys had argued that Ray had been experiencing mercury toxicity. And his father, Tommy, had been experiencing that too. And that may have been the reason why he died, actually, is what they say in court. The attorney said that a faulty ventilation system at the crematory had exposed Ray and Tommy to toxic levels of mercury that would have come Mm. from the actual act of cremation, specifically from the mercury fillings in people's teeth. The attorneys back that up by saying that Ray had reported that the more time he had spent away from the crematory, the more level-headed that he had been feeling, and the clearer he seemed to friends and family. I want, like, actual proof. I want a blood sample at this point. If I'm one of these family members where, I don't know, my my mother's body could be in a congealed mass with ten other bodies. Like, (laughs) I want proof. Because, yeah, you could say as soon as he walked out of the crematorium, he was fine. Oh, that just happens to, like, line up perfectly with the idea that you're creating, which is obviously he's not in the right mind in the crematorium. He stacks up bodies, but as soon as he leaves, he's fine. Like, sure, it's it's just all too convenient to me, and I want proof. Yeah, and I agree. And I and and again, like it doesn't super matter, I suppose, in the grand scheme of things, because he ends up pleading guilty anyway. So like. I guess who really cares, but like, but to your point though, too, like for a loved one's family member, like you want to know the exact specific reason. Um, and so I never, so point being is I never really saw, um, like, like a blood sample that was like, like presented in court. Like I never saw that specifically, but I would imagine if they went through a whole trial and like tried to find him guilty, like through a jury process and all that stuff, like they would have had to have done that. You know what I mean? Like, otherwise, like who's going to believe you to your point? I would have thought outside the box to prove it to my um, people who had lost family members, but go on. Sure. No, I agree. No, I agree with you. I 100% agree with you. And I think they, but again, like, I think that it was to the point of like, okay, yeah. like we, like, like he's pleading guilty. So like, right. why even like, who cares what the real reason is as long as he admits that he actually did it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. but, and like, like the, that kind of stuff will make you do crazy stuff. Oh, I'm sure. I don't really know if it'll make you stack up a bunch of bodies for 20 years. Well, attorneys, you know, also clarified that nothing, quote, untoward happened to the bodies that were found on the property of the Tri-State Crematory besides them just simply not Mm. being cremated. But either way, Ray is convicted and sentenced to 12 years in federal prison and 75 years of probation. And Ray gives a statement at his sentencing that's really interesting to say the least blaze i'm hoping you're gonna be able to read this i will okay so quote for those of you who may have come here today looking for answers i cannot give you not for lack of a desire to get those answers but the lack of an answer to those individuals who were genuinely harmed emotionally as a result of my actions i apologize um i mean this just doesn't this is just empty air like this means yeah. nothing to me. Yeah, I yeah. totally agree. But, like, I do think it does kind of, like, to me, like, support and or, like, speak to, from his perspective, like, the idea that he was simply not in his right mindset at the time of this whole thing happening. And, like, now that he's, like, away from the Mercury, hypothetically speaking, like, now he's, like, like okay. And it's just, like, I don't know what I was thinking. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you this though and we can't dwell too much on it okay so it says that when he left the crematorium he was more level-headed he's not living Mm -hmm. in the crematorium so when he left work every single day and saw the stacks and stacks on stacks of bodies 
did he not think like maybe this is bad? Yeah, you would think that you would go back. Correct, you would think you'd go back and take care of it. You're definitely right about that. How in the wrong mindset is he? If you're thinking level headed and you see those bodies, then you know that this is bad. Right. I don't. I don't believe him. I don't believe it was malicious. I just don't yeah. think that he's not in the right mind. I just think he's. He just got it over his head. Yeah. Well, and I guess I don't really fully understand, like, the the thought process here because, like, he clearly wasn't, like, cremating that many bodies if he had more than 300 of them out yeah. of his property that weren't cremated. And so I guess I don't really understand, like, where the toxicity came from if he clearly wasn't doing it, which, like, again, so, to, but to be fair, like, we did say at the beginning of the episode that, like, that between 1996 and 2002, um, they took in an estimated 2,000 bodies, and so, like, yeah. there are, like, what, quick math, 1,600 or so, um, like, sure. not, that, not accounted for, and so, therefore, yeah. you probably assume that they were cremated properly, Right? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I took a lot of math in college, but I'm not going to try to do it right here on this podcast. Thank you. I you listen. Everyone who listens, to, everyone <laughs> listens to this podcast knows that I am not good at math. I'm I'm a way, simple so. simple addition subtraction girly right here. Yeah. I yeah I yeah 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 same. You know, but Ray and the tri-state crematory um, ended up settling with the funeral homes that were su- suing them civilly um, for $36 million. Mm. And the families end up taking their cut from that payout. They, you know, drop their um, class action lawsuit that they were pursuing separately from this lawsuit. Ray is released from prison in 2016 and ended up earning a master's and a doctorate degree in theology from behind bars. Under the conditions of his probation, Ray was prohibited from profiting financially from the crime with an $8 million penalty attached if he does. He was also required to write apology letters to the victim's families and the general public. And Blaze, I was hoping you could read this for us, too. Oh, Jesus. All right. So he, sorry, he sent these out to everybody or this is just to the community? So he sent, so he sent individual letters. He was required to send individual letters to the family members. um, And then one, and then he published this one, not published, but like wrote this one separately to like the general community. Gotcha. Okay. I thought like millions of families got this letter. Okay. So quote to my community, I humbly and very respectfully acknowledge the hurt and pain my actions have caused. I sincerely apologize. Moving forward, I can assure everyone that my life and deeds will not only prove the sincerity of my words, but my desire to lead a life that is worthy of this community. I am thankful to so many who have welcomed me home, wished me well, prayed for me, and are giving me the opportunity to return to my family and this community. Prayerfully yours, Brent Marsh. Yeah, and so his his like um legal name is Brent um and he goes by Ray to clarify that last point. Um again like this doesn't mean anything. I mean obviously moving forward I can assure everyone that my life and deeds will not only prove my sincerity but my desire to leave a life. You legally can't do this again, so shut up. So like what are you going to do? Yeah. Be a theology teacher? <laughs> yeah right Ooh. yeah i don't know i do i like listen like here here's kind of where i landed on this whole thing right where it's like okay like this is clearly like a real like messed up situation right like yeah like he did a real gross number thing yeah yeah and and so like i say all of that to set up the fact that like it 
you know, I would hope anyways that he, you know, clearly saw the error of his ways, right? And, like, you know, wanted to be a much more productive member of society as a result of that. Yes. Um, Because his whole reputation, again, we set up this whole thing about how, at the beginning of this episode, about how well-respected him and his his dad and his whole family were. um, And that's all gone, right? Like, his reputation is ruined. um, Not uh, by his own doing, to be crystal clear. But, like, point being is that, like, like I see, like like I feel this a little bit in terms of just like I like like he like according to this, anyways, like he wants to move on from this and be you know a a productive member of the community again to whatever extent he's able to. At least that's what he's saying. I have to believe his words to to a certain extent, right? I mean, yes, I I believe in giving those coming out of prison a second chance. They yeah. obviously um, deserve it. However, I think that we also have to look at kind of the, the circumstances, not eliminate their chances to have a second chance, but like there are certain people I believe that maybe have a better chance of fulfilling that second chance than others. I don't know if this person sure. is that. I mean, I, I wish him well. I don't wish him any ill will. Um, I just, there, I just have a lot of questions about how you can let bodies stack up for 20 years knowing that yeah. your incinerator is broken and you're not doing anything, to my knowledge, to try to fix it. So agreed. I would need to know more personally about what is that? What do we say? Mercury poisoning, and its effects on the body to know because if it was because of that, I think he gets a little bit more of a pass. But I also, uh, if if family and friends are saying he's more level headed when he leaves, well, you. You're coming back and you're seeing these bodies. Where are we going from here? Right. Yeah. I mean, I have to believe simply and out of the goodness of my heart that like the mercury poisoning is the reasoning here, right? Like I have to. Uh, Otherwise, like what the actual fuck, right? Like that's all I have to say about that. Well, you know, Walker County's Tri-State Crematory has been the subject of a movie called Sakanaga, which starred locals of Walker County, including some people whose parents' bodies were found on the property. It was also the inspiration behind episodes of Law & Order and CSI. Today, the bodies found on the property are buried at the Tennessee Georgia Memorial Park Cemetery in Rossville, Georgia, 20 minutes north from where the, their bodies had mm. rusted for months and sometimes years in some cases. The sheriff then is still the sheriff today, actually, and he says he has regular contact with Ray and that he's doing fine, recognizes his crime, and has done his time and is ready to get on with the rest of his life. But Ray says that he still doesn't know why he did it. You know, I I'm glad that the sheriff is still the sheriff because that could that could maybe bring like a little bit of clarity to the community that are still maybe looking for answers. Like the sheriff is still there. He still keeps in contact with the person. If there is any developments, he can obviously pass it along. Is there going to be any? Obviously not. He doesn't know why he did it. Um, but you know what? Sometimes it's kind of like. I'm going to draw a parallel, but they're obviously not the same. It's almost kind of like a hoarding situation where, like, hoarders don't know until you have to, like, intervene and say, hey, your whole house is just completely filled with crap. Maybe it was kind of along those same lines where it's like it just got – it was one, then it was two, then it was ten, and it just kind of stacked up. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and that's kind of – that's kind of what I gather from that. 
and that it was just like again like it was just too far out of control i guess and like again like i like i don't know if he was if he was still cremating bodies during this whole time right like i like math says yes but like the bodies say no potentially says no the bodies say no right so like so like i don't know maybe it was just one of those situations where it was just like like okay like i'm getting 10 but can only do five today like uh, like it's you know so like i don't know well and you know you you hear about these other criminals who burn bodies in fire pits there's way i mean i'm not saying that he should have done it Mm -hmm. but i'm just saying there are ways yeah fair frankly fair interesting that is a wild one sure you bring me some you bring me some wild cases and I'm glad I Only I'm glad you, I go into it raw with no information. Well, that is all that we have for you this week, Blaze. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Of course. It's been a pleasure. Okay. It's been a pleasure. You don't have to do the upward inflection making it sound like a question. <laughs> no, it has been a pleasure. I always <laughs> I know the listeners at home have obviously heard me before, but me and Liam we 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 have a life outside of this podcast, and we do talk occasionally. Oh, yeah, we're besties. Yes. Well, Blaze, tell everyone where they can find you and your work and all of your unhinged Twitter content. Um, oh, my gosh. Okay, well, my Twitter is Blaze M. Keller. My Instagram is private, but it's blaze.png because I'm a transparent person. And that's it. That's where you can find me. All right. Love it. Well, Blaze, it's always a pleasure having you thank on. You. Um, Obviously, of course. And thank you again so much for coming on. And thank you all so much for listening. We are going to put all of our sources on our website so you can read everything for yourself and probably come up with a few theories, too. And if you are just loving this podcast and are just looking for a way to tell everyone and anyone about it, the best way to help people discover this podcast is by leaving us a five-star rating and a review wherever you are listening right now. So make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you're wondering what we have in store for you next week, here's a quick sneak peek. Hello, everybody. It's Liam. And I'm Andy Santoro. Next week, I'm joining the Crime Vineyard, and we have a case of a freezing Canadian night when a lively young man with a world ahead of him seemed to vanish without a trace. It's a heartbreaking case, and we will tell you everything that we do know next Wine Wednesday on another episode of Crime Over Wine. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.